0: next Kinnah is Asher Asheros Bifnim. Remember what the foe Titus did within the temple precincts, Kinnah number 16, page 226. This Kinnah depicts how the evil General Titus not only enters into, destroys our temple, but first he entered into Bifnim, the uh, holiest and most hallowed place. He draws a sword and he pierces the parochas, the curtains, it records how he, what he did inside there. He totally made, made a mockery and profaned the holiest of places. I think just before I even get to what I, the, the, a broader idea, there's something very jarring about the uh, idea of tsar bifnim, of of entering within the holiest of places. Well, I, I, well, one of the more horrific terrorist attacks in the last number of years, and there have been so many, was the massacre in Harnof. Remember that there were four, four great people who were killed in Harnof, in the shul there. Think, if you think about it, I know unfortunately we've had so much, we have so much sorrow and so much suffering, there have been worse massacres in our t- history. But there was something about the fact that there was Bifnim in the shul, in the holiest place, that really struck each and every one of us. And that's what ta- this, this kinah is coming to lament at Sar Bifnim. However, there's something else about this kinah which is, which is, I think is really unbelievable and that's a thought I want everyone to hold on to it, even as we enter into the and we're in this space of real mourning because Tishabov is the saddest day of the year right as we mentioned and as Rabbi Salvichik always used to say it's not just about the horrible. it's about every tragedy throughout our history it's about our lives the tragedy in our own lives it's a day where we, we, we set it aside to mark the mourning in a way which the Kina tells us later on the Kina points out there's one day, it's the one day a year where we, ha- we have to mourn. We shouldn't make other days to mourn. It's all, Tishbub is that day. It's supposed to be there for all of us. There was a great controversy when Yom HaShoah was first enacted in Israel. Should they make a special day for Yom HaShoah? Should they not? And again, there were a lot of political considerations that went into there. There were a lot of other things, there were a lot of other factors. But one of the reasons why there were those who were opposed to creating a, one, a, a day of Yom HaShoah, a day to commemorate and memorialize the Holocaust, was because we said we had, we had Tishbub already. Don't think Tisha is just for 2,000 years ago. Tisha is for everything that happens in our life, even now. Today, it's a very heavy day. It's a day that there are those, you know, there are were, there were some who argue. There's two ways to look at Tisha B'av. There are those who argue that the other parallel we have to Tisha is Yom Kippur. Both are 24-hour, 24-hour, 5-hour fast, start at nightfall. Both of them were prohibited from the same things, the chamisha Inuyim, eating, drinking, bathing. There seems to be a lot of parallel. It's almost to say there are those who want to argue that the message of Tisha and the message of Yom Kippur may be very similar. They come from different places. Tisha comes from a national darkness, a national catastrophe, a national place of, of, of falling, whereas Yom Kippur comes from a personal darkness. Yom Kippur comes from a personal crisis. But ultimately, they emerge they in the same place of one of fasting and praying and, and repentance and shuva. There are those who argue that although we mourn on Tisha ultimately that mourning, and the Rambam says this, explicitly the mourning is supposed to instill within us and awaken within us a desire to change, a desire to do better, as we always talk about, you know, the sin chinam. So there's that element. And there are others who say, no, Tisha is solely about mourning. It's a day to commemorate and to mourn the tragedy. And because of that, it's a very heavy day. So I want to give over a thought to hold on to. A thought that emerges from this kina, which is so powerful. This thought begins with the Gemara, in Ma- the end of Makos it's one of the more famous Gemaras. If you have not, if you've learned, you've probably heard this. If you've never learned this Gemara, it's very Kadai, It's very important to know this Gemara because it's such a famous Gemara. The Gemara begins as follows: Rabbi Rabbi Elazar Rabbi Four great rabbis: Rabbi Gamliel, Rabbi Elazar ben Azariah, Rabbi and Rabbi Kiva are walking on the road. Names sound familiar to any of us. Where do we know them from? What did he say? I don't strong, Misa, B'Venei Brak. Shahaya, re not here, Or kiva Or Re-Lez-Benzariah, Or yishua kiva they all were in B'Nei as well. Right? But the, Haggadah, the story from the Haggadah, that story, why were they in B'Nei Everyone wants to know why they were in there. And by the way, there's a parallel to Safda, a parallel story, where has a in Lut. The question that everyone wants to know is, why were they in B'Nei Aren't you supposed to be in the in the Mikdash bringing a carbon Pesach? The obligation to bring a carbon passa. best we discussed you do got bring yeah. I heard that was there at the time of our Coke they were So that's one that's one idea, but I think Ray Sachs even has an even nicer idea along that lines. Ray Sachs asks, why what are they doing them in the Go to Yerushalayim where you're supposed to be. Be with the rest of the Jewish people. Bring your garment, best What are you doing, sitting five rabbi's away from your family in Benevent? And says Rabbi Sa- says Rabbi Sachs, or Jonathan Sachs. I'll tell you what it was. This was the very first year after the first Tisha This was the year when they, the first year when they no longer had a Besamigdash. and everyone didn't know what to do. For so long, every, every, in these people's entire lives, Pesach comes around. What do you do? You take a sheep. You travel to Jerusalem. You pitch a tent. You go to the base of You slaughter it. There's singing. There's joy. That night, you take your roasted carbun, you go into your house, you eat it together with your closest family. And as the night turns to midnight, all you lie would go and gather and go on the roofs of their homes and together sing a collective halal. Can you imagine that? If everyone went outside their house and sang halal together, one big shira, one big song as Jewish people now imagine that and linden imagine that Yerushalayim we've all been in Yerushalayim at night that beautiful Yerushalayim night Maybe a couple jackals making funny noises in the background but other than that all of Yushalayim, from Meisha Arim to Taufiot, to to, uh, Katamonim Jews from who are Haredi who are Tzioni secular, Ethiopian together singing Halal together most beautiful, beautiful imagery on a cool spring night, and it's the first year, they don't have that. And they don't know what to do. So they go to the, they go to, B'nai Brak, to the Rebbe. Who do they go to? Rabbi Akiva. To hear from Rabbi Akiva, because what, what was special about Rabbi Akiva? What was unique about Rabbi Akiva, what we'll see now. This is why they went to Rabbi Akiva, who, by the way, as we already saw, although his life ended in such tragedy, his life was full of so, so much hope. A man who, at 40, knew nothing, at 40, he knew nothing. The, 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 the Medjah tells us he literally knew nothing. And by the time he died, he becomes, as we just said a few moments ago, one of the greatest teachers of Torah to ever live so much to the Moshe Rabbeinu himself says, why did you give the Torah to me? Give the Torah through him. A man who lived through so much, who lived through the korban, who lived through Bar Kokhba, as we know from the time Bar Kokhba, he first embraced Bar Kokhba, and ultimately he was killed. So why did they go to Bnei Barak, Rabbi Akiva? Because of this story. They're walking on the ro- on the road and they're in Rome. And they hear this loud, loud noise, cheering and jeering, screaming and yelling, emanating from Rome. And they are very far. They are May of Mil. 150, 120 mil away, 120 mil, it's approximately 85 and a half miles from Rome, and yet they hear this loud, loud cacophony of noise emanating, people screaming and yelling and having a great time. They're partying. V'hisru bolchen, or be or Elizabeth Azariah or Yeshua, begin to cry. And they're crying. And what does Rabbi Kiva do? He bursts out laughing. He laughs. A bizarre scene. Three rabbis crying, one rabbi laughing. Umr so they turn to him, they're like, What are you laughing for, Akiva? So Umar he looks at them, he's like, Why are you crying? I'm going to ask you the same question. So they said to him, Why are we crying? Isn't it obvious? Here are our people who worship idols who don't follow the will of God and yet they're sitting in their city with tranquility and peace partying it up having a great time drinking and and, and running around and screaming and yelling and, and enjoying themselves and we the Jewish people who follow the will of God our house is burnt up our house is consumed we don't have a home anymore yeah, you know why we're crying? Because we've seen the contrast here of people who destroyed us. Living it up. Good things happening to... Bad things happening Good things happening to bad people. And here, with bad things happening to good people. That's why we're crying. Now you tell us, everybody, keep it, why are you laughing? It's bizarre to laugh at this. So he says to them, That's precisely the reason why I'm laughing. I'm laughing because I hear from Rome how good a time they're having. What? So he, says, he says, the way I look at it, this is the perennial optimist of Rabbi Akiva. If the people who don't fulfill God's Word, if this is their reward, if this is how they live their life, Allah has come certainly the people who live by the Word of God. Ultimately, we don't understand what's happening now. But ultimately, think about our reward. Think about the lives we will, we will be willing, able to live when the future comes. He was the optimist. He saw the positive there. He's the reason why the year after the korban, they went to him and not to, and and, and 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 we didn't know what to do. But then the story goes one step further, and this is the, perhaps the more famous part of the story. Shuv Pamachas. are you all in Yerushalayim? One time they went to Yerushalayim. Are you all? of Shegila Haratopim. They got to Haratopim, Mount Scopus. Hebrew University is on Mount Scopus now. Does anyone know why it's called Mount Scopus? What does Scopus mean in Latin? to scope out, to look. is a, a view. Why was it called that? So, it's very possible. In the year 130, when they were... When, the thing that precipitated the Barakotkotl Rebellion was you, all the Jews were expelled from Yerushalayim. They raised Yerushalayim and the Jews were not allowed back in. They renamed it Al- Aliyah Kapitalina. So it became the name of the entire area of land. The new, the new kingdom, if you will, that was once the Jewish people. So the Jewish people couldn't go into Jerusalem. Where would they go? Mount Scopus, which, according to Wikipedia, even Wikipedia tells us, this is um, the ridge and mountains east of the ancient of ancient as well as modern Jerusalem offers the best views of the city. You want to see Jerusalem? You want to see from afar? I don't know if anyone here. I certainly wasn't there before. Pre-67 went to Jerusalem. My grandmother told me when she went, there was a mountain you stood on outside Jerusalem we you can look through a crack, basically, and see, the, and see the Kotel. So this is what they were doing. It was like, as close as we can get to Haribayus. They we went to Mount Scopus to scope out to see the Kotel. Perhaps this was then, again, when Akiva was killed in 135. This is, the, the Jews were kicked out in 130. Perhaps this was that time. They're walking along Mount Scopus, looking at Yerushalayim. Korubic Dayim, they ripped their clothing, which is what you're supposed to do. All of them ripped their clothing. Kavind Jegeelah Haribayus, when they got to Harobius, so again, I don't know if they got to Harobius itself or at least they, they could have gone to Harobius. They saw the area of Harobius. Ro They saw a fox scurry out of what was the holiest place. Now, you see the symbolism in the fox we read yesterday. What you can what's the passage we read yesterday? At the end of Eicha? but we said one of the things that tells us the, uh, the, about the Khorban is when the base of Midas is destroyed, a, the foxes are going to make ha their new home, scurrying about, doing their business. The ultimate, the ultimate sign of destruction. Smoke, rubble, and wild animals prowling that area. So the similar story, what happens? Rabbi Kamlil, Rabbi Elisabeth Nazariah, Rabbi Yeshua, Hizchil Ha-Yin Bochan, they begin to cry. Reikiva begins to laugh. Again, it's bizarre. Why are you laughing for Akiva? Don't you see the, the prophecy has come true? We have been destroyed? A fox is in the holiest place? What are you crying for Kiva? Are you crazy? I get it. You're an optimist. But there's a gvul. There's a point where you say things are bad. You can't always laugh. There's not always a silver lining. What are you doing? So he says the same response. Why are you crying? Which again, sounds bizarre. Of course we know why you're crying. The place where the Torah tells us something we've discussed a couple of times in Shirem throughout this year. The place where the verse tells the Psukim tell us if a czar, a stranger, someone who's tomming, someone who's not prepared to go into higher bodies, or if that matter in, the, in the areas a non-Kohen or non-Kohen Godel walks into. They get put to death. The holiest place on earth. If we went there, we would get killed. And yet now there's a fox, a wild animal, these critters running around. You see what's happening here in Of course we're crying. This is the ultimate sign of our destruction. That's precisely why I'm laughing. You're laughing because you see the destruction? because the postic, says, The postic in Yir-She'ol tells us, the Uriah, who lived in the time of the first temple, and Zechariah, who lived in the time of the second temple, are going to give witness together. They're going to bear witness together. Now, the postic, now he's perplexed. How could someone, who, two people who live hundreds of years apart bear witness, give testimony on something? What's Urya doing next to Zachariah? Uryya but make Rishon the They lived hundreds of years apart. How could one person who lived here and one person who lived a hundred years later give testimony? That wouldn't work in court. Right right lawyers in the room? That wouldn't work in court. Ella. Tola but The Psukim are telling us that the same way. We have the nevuah of Orya, Orya who prophesized the destruction. We also have the prophecies of Zechariah who prophesized the ultimate redemption, the ultimate redemption. It says Orya says ultimately for your sake Zion, Sion will be plowed over, which we saw came true. In the prophecy of Zechariah it says ultimately one day. The elderly, elderly men and women will sit in the streets of Yerushalayim, a, a prophecy which is, if you think about it, the ultimate sign of, of things coming to fruition is when normal life begin, is able to continue or start up again. Little children running around Yerushalayim. The noise, I, my, my bubby, who's very, very sick right now, she's a survivor. A number of years ago, her last trip to Israel, she was there on Yom Yerushalayim. For those of you who have been to Yerushalayim, on Yom Yerushalayim, there's the flag march. My uncle told me she was there, he was there with her and she stood there for hours looking out her doorway as two hundred thousand children walked through Yerushalayim. Think about that. A woman who saw Aniha Gevashera Andi, she saw the ultimate destruction. And now close to seventy years later at that point, she was seeing hundreds of kids, thousands of kids, little Jewish kids with keep in their head, waving flags proudly, walking through Yerushalayim. That's the Navua of redemption. That's the Things that things are back on track. That's the nevuah of Zechariah. And says Rabbi Akiva, Until now, until now when I only saw destruction, until now, he says, excuse me, until now before the prophecy of Uriah was fulfilled, I wondered, I feared, if there was no prophecy of destruction that never came to fruition, Maybe the prophecies of Zechariah won't either come to fruition. Maybe we won't we won't either have O Yosh Vizakana Vizakanos, Yerchovos Yoshelaim. Sad point. I was once in Yerushalayim and I saw my Rebbe and his wife sitting on a bench. So I looked at him and I said, Oh, O the is a keniv, is a Kenos, Yerushalayim. now the old people are sitting on the benches again. I don't recommend doing that to people. Okay. But um He said Rabbi Akiva said but Kiva said, until there was a pro- I saw the destruction come, k- bor- the prophecy of destruction born out, I didn't know if the destruction of Zachariah was born out. But now that I see there's destruction, now that the ultimate, the ultimate destruction is Shulim a fox is walking out of the temple, I know for a fact now, I know Emmas Vakayoth. I know, he says, As well. I know too that ultimately then we will see the true fruition of the prophecy of, the, of Zechariah that in many many years from now there will be hundreds of thousands of kids walking through the streets of Jerusalem where wearing kippah in their head waving flags saying, Am Yisrael Chai and with that they said to him, Akiva Necham Akiva Necham Akiva, you have comforted us Akiva, you have comforted us the ultimate optimist the thing is says the morale I don't get something about the story as beautiful as it is. If you take a moment, for a step back, what did Kiva say? I didn't know if Zechariah's navi and Zahariah's prophecy would be true until I saw Oriah's prophecy born out. But well, wasn't Zechariah also a prophet? Why are you not listening? Who says you only listen to one prophet If the other prophet is true? And therefore says tomorrow something so powerful. He says as follows. Yes, Zechariah was a navi. And yes, what he said would come true. But to what scale? Maybe, said, Rekeba was concerned. Yeah, one day, sometime in the future, there'll be one man and one woman and a few kids who come back to Shalai and they have a little whatever and they'd all be there and that's what it would be. But he says, but when he saw the scale of the destruction, he said as follows, says the morale, the the bigger the void and the darker things get, that creates more and more potential for greatness. The deeper we go, that means the higher we can go. The further down we fall, the higher we will rise. That's how the world works. Things only grow in absence. So, the more there's an absence, the more foxes are prowling the Temple Mount. That means ultimately the bigger the redemption is going to be, the bigger the Ge'ulah. That if once he saw the depth and the depravity of Uriah, he knew for a fact that when Zacharyah said, Oh, Yosh was the Canaanite of the Zika- 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 Brochobo's it wasn't going to be one or two people, but it was going to be hundreds of thousands of children with would keep us in their head waving those flags. And what he was saying was that sometimes we have to recognize that even when things seem so dark, even when we have the foxes prowling and it seems so bad and so much destruction, there's a side to it also, the silver lining that we can't just lose hope. That that also means there's, there's space. and there's, there's now more potential for growth. What does that have to do with Arkinah today? So Arkinah then describes how when he went to Sar Bifnim, when he went into the temple, what was inside the Kodesh HaKadosh in the holiest of holies? In the holiest of holies is the ark, the Arun kodesh. On top of the ark, what's the mountain on top of the ark? The Kruvim. The Kruvim. The Kruvim are the, these two uh, boy-like figures with these big wings. We've seen pictures of it. Now, here's the problem with the Kruvim. The question is, when we had to prove him, how exactly did they stand? What did they look like? We're not 100% sure what, what configuration were they just standing there. So the Gemara says, actually, they were embracing. The problem is, there's a Gemara, another, another verse that seems to say they were not embracing. So one, one opinion is they faced each other. The chadomar pnei lebais. Some say no, they didn't face each other; but rather, they faced the Beit Hamikdash. They were looking outward at the walls of the Kodesh Hakodash. pnei ishalachiv v'haksev u'pnei lebais. So the problem is, one verse says pnei lebais, they faced the walls. The other one says no, pnei they faced each other. What is it? Ella says the Gemara in Baba Basra, "Bizman she'Yisrael oseh ritzon kam bizman she'Ein Yisrael oseh ritzon It's a famous midrash. Rashi brings down. When the Jewish people fulfilled God's word, they faced each other as in an embrace. As if God saying, one of you is the Jewish people, one of you represents me, and we're embracing each other. We're hugging each other. And when the Jewish people didn't fulfill God's word, they turned around to say that, I'm not with you. I'm showing my disappointment in you. Now here's the problem. The Gemara later on says, what happens when it was the time of Cyrus, when Titus, Hirasha, enters... The Kodesh HaKadoshim. Says the Gemar B'Pnashin Nichnaz Goyim When Titus enters into the holiest of places. Kruvim The Kruvim were hugging each other. They were facing each other. And obviously everyone asked the question. I don't get it. Didn't we just say when the Jewish people don't fulfill God's word. They face away. And now the ultimate moment. When God is saying I'm rejecting you seemingly. God is saying, you know why? Why did this happen? As we read today, why did we destroy the temple? Because he didn't follow the Torah. But they should say, And yet, they're hugging each other? Shouldn't this be the ultimate point when they're facing away from each other? Shouldn't this be the moment when they're not embracing each other? I think the answer to that is, the answer to that is, because we have to recognize that as much as HaKadosh Baruch gets upset with us, and as much as it seems, as much as it seems, that we are rejected and we are buffeted among the nations and we live constantly with His Eicha we are never totally rejected that when we go into Galat Hashem comes with us that even when things seem so down there's a fox sh- eminent walking out of the Kodosh HaKadashim that itself is a sign that Hashem is with us and Hashem is saying that I'm going to make the ultimate redemption only so much better that even when we're being kicked out of the temple Hashem is saying I'm hugging you there are I'm hugging you as we say in Hoshiyahu, you will forever be betrothed to me. You will forever be, forever be my people. And it's a message to think about. It's a message to think about today. To hold on to that as we go through these kinos and as we, the day goes on, we sometimes feel the sense of rejection, the sense of loneliness, that the ultimate lonely one, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, is with us. And maybe to ask ourselves that Hashem is always with us, are we always with HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Do we always make, recognize where He is in our life? Do we always look for Him in our life? And how can we Live up to our side of this great engagement, this great marriage, where Hashem is there for us, or how are we going to be there for Him? How are we going to be there when God knocks on our door, called Dodi Dofink, and says, Pistili, open the door up for me, that we will open the door and say, God, we are with you, and we will never leave you as well. It's Kinnah number 16 on page 226.